0: Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com slash giving. Enjoy the podcast. You know, we're talking family, right? Over the last, you know, start of last week and we're getting ready, you know, continue the, the series. And when you talk about family, Years ago, I would have absolutely been scared to death to talk about the subject of family. But as you can tell, I have gray hair now. And I feel slightly more qualified to talk about it. We haven't done everything right. We've made a lot of mistakes along the way. Actually, let me rephrase that. I've made a lot of mistakes along the way. Ansel is a little better at it than I am, but... You know, she has mentioned we have been married 30 years. We've been parents for 27 of those. Um, one of the greatest joys that Ansel and I have is watching our children uh, grow up, uh, get married, and by the grace of God, continue to serve and follow Jesus, right? So, like, for those you don't know, Ansel and I do have, like, three older children they're never with us here. We have a you know 27 year old, a 25 year old, and a 20 year old. Two of them are married. The third one's about to get married. And then we have Janae is here with us all the time, so you guys know her because she sings. And then you maybe didn't know she belonged to us, but she sings. And so then then we have because. Like, based upon if you've heard me sing, you wouldn't think that there'd be a singer in the family. Okay, I'm just saying, all right? So, so then, and then we have two foster boys that are 12 and 13. When we talk about family, we talk about how do we navigate this part of our lives, right? How do we navigate children? How do we navigate that? But, but if you're sitting here, you're going, well, oh, this message isn't for me. Hold on, press pause. Because family is a lot broader than that. And I think, in fact, I'm absolutely confident that you can walk out of this morning with God speaking to your life. In fact, I want you to start this moment with a simple prayer that says, Lord, would you help me hear you speak to me today? Because I am confident. That God would like to use every one of us to pour into our families and other people's families. One of the struggles we often have in life is thinking there is no way to change. We feel a bit like Paul. As he wrote to the Roman church in Romans 7, he wrote, he said, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Right now I realize that we're not, but but, but when we recognize some of the things that we do and some of the things we have done as parents, we recognize that some of that we've inherited. Some see their family history as controlling what they're going to do in the future. I'm telling you there's hope in Jesus. And he can break the chains that have bound us. He can set us free. He can help us do more than we think we can do. Like when I look back and I look at my life and I think about what it was like for me when I first realized I was going to be a parent. They should not give children to people like me. I wasn't sure what to do with a baby. Scared me to death. Like I thought, I'm going to be responsible and this child is going to die. Okay, But it didn't stop there It didn't stop with just the, that, that first moment look, look, there was a ton of things that I had to learn Both as a husband and as a father And without being willing to learn I would have been a, a miserable failure But humility says I'm going to learn I'm going to figure out how to navigate this world that I find myself, and I'm going to be the best parent I can be. I feel sorry for the first two children. They were experiments, okay? We're getting better as we go along, (laughs) and maybe not. I don't know. God can help us and will help us. If we will let him. So ask God. What would you like to change in me today? What would you like to speak into my life about parenting? About what it means to be a child. Even if you're grown and gone. Ephesians 6 verses 1 through 4 continues this thought of the, that Paul is writing about house codes. Right? He talked a little bit about out of Ephesians last week about husbands and wives and Pastor Mike walked you through that. And When we start and look at Ephesians 6 I really think we've got to go way forward. I think Pastor Mike did the same thing kind of looking forward a little bit ahead of that. Look, if we will start with what's found in Ephesians 5, that we will apply that to Ephesians 6, it goes a long way. And so when we read Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, which we're going to get to in a moment, it's important to read it with a first century mindset, not a 21st century mindset. Because when we read this from a 21st century perspective, we we lose what, what was being spoken that was revolutionary to that time. So Ephesians 5, 15 through 20, says this. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God. The Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It goes on to verse 21 and it, it kind of bridges this whole thing. And further... Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then there's this whole thing about husbands and wives, and then we jump down to Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with a discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. But Paul wrote, wrote this to a Roman culture. Okay, Roman culture. So remember that, because Ephesians 6.1, when they read that in the Roman culture, they're like, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. So this is the right thing to do. Like When you read that, in our culture, we kind of go, all right, I get it. In the first century, they're reading that and going, well, duh, if we don't obey our parents, we're going to die because they're going to kill us. But, but we read that and we laugh about that, but in of all seriousness, like the, the, the fathers ruled at that point, and they often ruled families into their 60s and unto death. They would still lead them. It was a different world. And the way things worked. And so Paul's writing this to a, to a culture. That lived with that kind of. Oh. Father domination situation. I mean that's sort of the way it is. It was very patriarchal. It was very much that way. And so. Living in the first century, family was connected to a child's willingness to obey the parents, and more specifically the father. It's really important for us to understand that, that yes, Paul's writing to a church and saying, children, obey your parents. Because you belong to the Lord. Not because they're your parents, but because you belong to the Lord. And it isn't even saying, children, obey your parents who are followers of Jesus. It's saying, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. Now, again, there's some tension that comes when you're being asked to do something that's not biblical. Okay, we'll we'll get to that. And then it says, honor your father and mother. And so when we look at these things, what does that look like? What does it mean to honor your father and mother when you are 51? American culture doesn't do this so well. What does it mean to honor your parents? What does that look like? Like when when your parents navigate into a later portion of life, what does it mean to honor them? But what does it mean to honor them? I'm I'm speaking to you for a moment out of just my understanding of life because I've lived a couple things that now I understand what it means. What does it mean to honor your parents when you sense the call of God in your life and they don't understand? What, what What do you do in those moments? How do you live that? How do you live when you, when, you, when you have parents that are aging? What, how, do you, how do you honor them? We'll get there. I just want you to understand that as we walk through this, I, I don't think there's anybody in this space that, that can't learn from this moment. Because I think we all can glean some things from God's principles, from His Word, and apply them to our lives. The first step is, and it's found really from, from this whole Ephesians 5.21 passage, it, it comes right there, that we need to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Like, so, so we read that, the thing with husbands and wives, and there's a little tension in that, but then we get to this whole thing about children, obey your parents. But remember, this, this whole passage was prefaced by being filled with the Spirit and submit to one another out of your reverence for Christ. The the key to family harmony in some ways is to eliminate selfishness, right? Husbands and wives do well if we eliminate selfishness. Let's be honest. Children and parents, that whole thing's going to go a lot better if we eliminate selfishness, right? But but remember, there's some things that we want to do that we don't do. Right, Paul writes that. The good that I want to do, I don't do, the bad that I don't want to do, I do. Hmm. There's a tension. The competition in our families ought to be who can outserve one another. Right? Outlove one another. How if we really want to push, like if we want to really push it, figure out how can I outserve another person in my family. Like, let's keep track of that. Because that's a Christ-like quality. Serving, if you want to break selfishness, serve. One of the powerful things for us, for our family, just a few years ago to be able to go to Haiti together. It was just four of us at the time, the, the two older boys didn't get to go. But, but Janae and Matt and Ansel and I went to Haiti with the church team that went there. Look, if you want to understand, go Serve. And here's why it's hard to do it. Because we walk into Haiti with all the answers. We walk into Haiti going, we're building a wall with rocks. And we're pouring concrete by moving sand and water in buckets. Buddy, just back up the cement truck and pour this, baby, and let's get done. We could have been done in like 30 minutes, what took us a week. And that attitude doesn't serve a nation. And that attitude doesn't serve a brother who's got a job for that week because we're there. And we're able to help support their lives and their economy, give them dignity and worth. See, if we come in as Americans and we just kind of bust in there and go, hey, let's pour this wall, let's get this done, let's get out of here. Like We don't want to be here in the first place. It's not serving, is it? And when you walk into any situation in life, whether it be families, jobs, or other relational situations, and you don't want to serve, you'll cause chaos, right? As we adopt Christ-likeness of service, we will change our families, Okay? So I think we get the service side of it. There's also no place for what the Bible would call unwholesome talk. Okay, so let's just, I'll give you a list here real quick, all right? Some of them you no problem. Some of them you'll be like, hmm. Okay, so avoid these things. Profanity. Yelling sarcasm, put-downs. Ephesians 4.29 says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Now, this just doesn't apply into the family, right? It applies in a family, but it applies everywhere. Think about this for just a moment. It's one thing for Paul to write don't use foul or abusive language. Right? I mean, that's like don't do this. Cool. All right, I can do that. But he has to follow that up with, let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement those who hear them. So now you're responsible all the time. See, it's not so hard. Like, if I just had, just didn't have to talk to people. I would never be wrong. Right? If that's all I was commanded is to not do the wrong thing, life would be easier. But the scriptures tell us there is good to do and we must do it. In fact, in other parts of the scriptures, it also tells us if we know the good we ought to do and don't do it, it's sin. So let everything you say be good and helpful. Everything you say. Hey, look, I'm preaching to myself too. So Everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. It gives us an incredible positive direction, an incredible thought that says, all right, look, if we want to make a difference in our home." Let's get our words to be encouragement to those who hear them. Let, let them be good and helpful. Uh, can you imagine what it could do to family context if that's what we did? But Let's take it a step further. How many of you wish in your workplaces, all the words that people used were encouraging, that they were good and helpful. I know in schools they try this, right, Don? I mean, they try. They try and, you know, let your words be, you know, all kinds of cool things. But if we could actually get it? Like, what would that do to workplaces? What would it do to homes? What would happen if our words were always, Good and helpful. Speak words of life, hope, encouragement. In in case you think this is not a serious deal, Proverbs says it this way. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. James tells it this way, James 3, 7, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Now, now James is talking in general, but obviously it applies to the family, right? It applies into family situations. And in this statement that is is, trying to help us understand or recognize the seriousness of what we're talking about, there was a Harvard study that revealed that verbal abuse, verbal abuse, words, can be more damaging than physical and sexual abuse. Now, I want you to understand, I'm not saying that there's not huge damage, but what I'm telling you is, there's actually a Harvard study that says there is some significant damage done by verbal abuse. And the scriptures taught it in Proverbs. The power of the tongue can bring death or life. And probably one of the problems in some ways is, is verbal abuse is tougher to pin down. And we recognize some of the other things, the physical abuse, the sexual abuse. We recognize the pain that, that's involved. But unfortunately, oftentimes people do not recognize that their words have power. And the solution to all this is let the Holy Spirit work in our lives. If we want our words to be encouraging, let the Holy Spirit work in you. Allow the Holy Spirit to change you. Allow God to work in your life and allow the flow of the Holy Spirit to come out of you. That's called the fruit of the Spirit. It's pretty amazing. Galatians teaches us, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Then we go on in, in Ephesians, it talks about honoring parents. Children are to honor their parents. Romans 12.10. Again, written to the church, but obviously the church applies to the family. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Take the light in honoring others. Take the light in honoring people. Now, in, in that context and in, in, in Ephesians, they were talking about, like, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Don't just make them mad to make them mad. Don't just tweak them just to tweak them. Don't do something just to cause pain. I mean, it seems weird to me that you have to say that, but I understand that that there are people that have... Grown up a certain way. And you only know to handle things a certain way. And that didn't help a kid. Like, don't just go along with what culture says. Like, allow God to speak into your life and change what you do. Allow you become more like what Jesus wants you to become. For parents in the room, that have children. Like, that's a pretty logical statement, isn't it? <laughs> I meant children that are young still, like in your home, like children. Don't over control. I- I'm going to speak from observation for just a moment of the past 28 years of ministry, youth ministry, pastoring, and one mistake I see, and I'll clarify this as we go along, one mistake I often see is parents being too controlling. I know we'd probably prefer to err on the side of caution, right? We want to, you know, I mean, we do live in the safest place in the planet ever in history. Um, If we could have our children live in bubbles we would do that so that they never fell and scraped up their knee i mean that's really what we learn live in but look the problem lies in if we never let our children make decisions and learn to make decisions about right and wrong within the safety of the family their first decisions that are made outside of that are going to be at 18 and they're going to be done In college, and those decisions often go off the rails. Uh, I read a book years ago by Barry St. Clair called Ignite the Fire. Can't find the book today. But one thing stood out to me, and I've never forgotten it. He makes a statement in there that says, Parents, often try to be the Holy Spirit for their children and They never let their children experience what it means To have the conviction of the Holy Spirit in their lives. They they never understand what it means to, to to sense from the Holy Spirit. What's right and wrong now granted we have to give guidelines right just like God has given us guidelines. He's given us parameters. And we see it in the scriptures. Galatians 5.13 says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Right. And So, so when we talk about this whole thing about you know, giving freedom, here's a funny, interesting thing. With our older boys, when we asked, just silence your ears for a minute, little man, um, but with our older boys, they would often ask us, what time do I need to be home? We would say, what is a reasonable time for you to be home? They often were more conservative than we would have been but they learned how to make some decisions. They learned how to know what is is right. He'd come home at a reasonable hour. That's like, and when you go wrong, yeah, we're going to talk about it. It's not a problem. But you know what, that's one of the pieces that you try to teach and try to, this is a little example, but I also want to push you a little bit further. Don't forget, to encourage your children. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, to so encourage one another and build each other up just as you were already doing. Okay, again, not context of family, context of church, but it applies to the family. This is not participation trophy kind of stuff, okay? This isn't like everybody wins. Because that doesn't teach anything. What does teach something is when you see what God has put in the child and you call that out of them almost prophetically, looking at their life and saying, I see this in you. You need to come with me. Hey, we give it to coaches all the time. We don't call them prophets, we call them coaches, right? They look at a kid and go, you've got something in you that can, man, you've got something that will bring this team forward. You've you got something. You don't believe in you yet, but you've got something and you can do this. You can perform better than you think you can, right? We're okay with a coach doing that. Let's speak prophetically into our children's lives and call out of them what we see and sense God doing in them and God calling for them, right? So so look at this from a perspective that says we are God's agent of calling forward out of a kid's life. Like, we're going to encourage that. We're gonna encourage them. We're gonna believe in them. We're gonna say, man, you got what it takes. No, not just participation trophy. You no, everybody doesn't have the same gift. Stop. You need to look at them and sense what God is doing and call it forward. And believe it. God's got something in it. Look, all of our kids are not the same. I didn't know you know, didn't know if you knew that or not. Um, we got four of them, and so far they don't, they're not the same. So, like, parenting actually changes with every child. You tailor-make parenting for the child because you've got to work on different spots of the child. If we did everything the same, we're not going to do them justice. Does God treat all of us the same? In some ways, yes. But in some ways, no. He's given each of us different giftings. He's given us different things. We've got to allow God to bring those out of us. And now we've got to bring that out of our kids. We've got to bring that out. And guess what? It doesn't stop with just parents and children. Because we're the family. Right? And all of a sudden you start to realize that all of us as the family of God are responsible to call out of others and encourage that. In them, coaches, again, do this. They're coaching other people's children oftentimes, and they're calling out of them, and they're believing them, they're encouraging them. And, and when they, they struggle, you speak words of hope into them, just in some ways just hoping that they'll perform better the next time because they're on your team, and you're like, boy, I hope. No, and you're trying to bring confidence out of them. That's also what you do as a church. Look, one of the reasons why my children are following Jesus today is because the church believed in them. Because the church called things out of them. The church developed skills and giftings and talents in them. Things that I couldn't teach them were taught to them. Funny story. This will be recorded. This could be bad. Funny story. Josh would tell it. But Josh, you know, leads the missional campus out there and when he was in middle school, he wanted to play, and he'd had some guitar lessons, but he wanted to play bass for the youth band and Aaron graciously let him play and Aaron's still part of mission hill and still working with josh in that whole world but aaron hoffman is teaching him how to play bass and aaron comes to me one day and he goes "Steve, uh, some days i think josh has it some days i don't think he's ever going to get through (laughs) and i said you got another option he goes no have fun I can't help you. <laughs> if you think he's bad, let me try and help him. It'll be ugly, says the guy who can't clap on time. Okay, you don't, just don't watch it during worship. Just, you know, just, it's ugly. It's ugly. There's no rhythm in here at all. So, how my children are musical, I do not know. Okay, because the church called it out of them because I couldn't because they believed in them and God gifted them and the people could call out of my kid what I couldn't really you know I mean all my kids know if I start to talk about music they're like dad you're speaking like a dad right now you're not speaking like somebody who really understands music it's true it's true I don't understand I mean I can tell if it's bad right? I mean, that, that's unmistakable, like clanging cymbals and my vocal. If it sounds like me, I know it's bad, right? <laughs> Look, I want to challenge you. When you think about what's around you and who's around you, who does God want you to impact? Who does God want you to be an influence on, to help them become who he's designed them to be? Your family, somebody else's family, doesn't matter. Who are you going to help bring along? Let's go back to the honoring parents thing as we close. What do we do as our parents age? What does honoring look like? Do we only honor our parents when we live at home? No. We honor our parents till the day they die. And even after that, we probably should still honor them. We probably shouldn't start speaking bad of them at that point. We should honor our parents. America doesn't do this well, by the way. In other parts of the world, aging parents don't worry about anything. Why? (laughs) Because they just move in. And you're like, sweet. Right? Like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. What happens? This is recorded. This is bad. I mean, theoretically speaking, If one of our parents moved in with us, I'm not sure. One might be easier than the other on us. But how do you honor parents knowing all that you know? How do you honor a parent that goes through medical difficulty? What does God speak into that? I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling you to honor your parents. Honoring them might be different in every situation. Honoring parents means you're going to do the best you can for them. Whatever that looks like. I will never forget. I will never forget. Our neighbors, when we lived in, from 1990 to 96, Friend of mine's grandparents across the street from us how we got to know him I will never forget in all of my life the care That one their daughter took care of them, but the care that that gene had for his wife It's an incredible picture of unconditional love. It's an incredible picture of care and honor and serving As she deteriorated physically, he fed her and cared for her and had people come into the home and just loved her and did incredible things. One day I said to him, Gene, you are amazing in the way you care. This was a guy that was shot down in World War II over Europe in a bomber. And he says to me, he goes, She put up with so much for me for so many years. I, I, I I can care for her. Honestly, in 18 years, well, actually, I only lived at home for 17, so I had a head start of getting out of there, but in 17 years, I really tortured my parents. There was a lot of Stuff that they put up with me. And I can honor them. I can serve them. Because that's what God is calling us to do. Because God calls us to serve. Again, we're to serve our families. We're to love them. We're to honor our parents forever. Your life will be, go well and you'll live a long life. Serving really matters, and the time that your relationship with Jesus matters the most is when you have to live it out in real life situation. See, that's when it's really tested. That's why the scriptures teach us, make the most of every opportunity, because people are watching you. And they want to see, are you truly a follower of Jesus? Or do you just speak it when it's convenient? Are we going to live this? Are we going to live the life that God wants us to live? Are we going to be the family that God's designed us to be? Or are we going to let our culture determine that? Even when it comes to this kind of stuff. Look, we didn't get it all. We didn't cover everything. Let me just let you in on a little secret. Ansel and I love leading small groups. For years, we led small groups for one reason, (laughs) because we were selfish. Because we knew if we worked on our marriage and we worked on stuff for us, other people would come along with us and we'd help them at the same time. We'd pour into our lives knowing the topic would be beneficial to us. We would choose some topics just because we're like, hey, we're going to work on this marriage thing. These people will come with us. They'll be a part. Because we knew we'd invest in us, we'd make everybody else better. We invest in our family, we make them better. You invest in your family, you make your family better. What I'm challenging you to do is make your family better by investing in you. Because strong, healthy families is what America needs today. And they don't need families to talk about it. They need families that will live it. And if we'll live it, it will change people's lives. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you, God, for this time. I pray, Lord that you would speak into every one of our lives. God, help us to walk from this place with some, some action steps, some things that we're going to look at in our own lives. How are we going to get better? What are we going to do to obey or to honor? And how's that look? Lord, help us to wrestle with encouraging, and spurring one along towards good stuff. Lord, that our words would be always helpful. God that you would help us to become What you want us to be Lord I pray for those that are sitting in his room That know they've made some mistakes Lord may you Bring your grace And your kindness Into their lives Lord I don't want anybody Walking out of here with discouragement I don't want anybody walking out of here Feeling less than Lord I am so thankful For how you make up the gaps in what we don't know what we're doing, but your grace is sufficient, and you help us, and Lord, even in the difficulty, you are going to walk with us, even in our mistakes, you're going to minister to us, you are good to us, and Lord, I'm praying that you will speak that into the lives of people in this room, God, we will be the best continue to navigate this journey over the next few weeks God that you will help us become more and more like you want us to be and that our families be examples for those around us